In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England zone, Van Helsink. And with me, all the way from across the pond and into the future and my past or whatever it is, the great Mr. Stevens Parsons. Good, good afternoon, and uh, I hope everybody out there on the East Coast is safe. You've just had a, you've just had a dose of uh, British summer weather. No, nah, we just had a, a spell. It looked, it looked pretty rough. Nah, nah, we've had worse. You've had worse. Oh, well, had there worse. you go. We've well, good to, hear, good to hear that uh, the majority are okay anyway. You know, we had Cal on the show. That was probably worse. <laughs> Where is Cal? He's doing. He's selling war bonds. I've told you, it's important war work. Oh, okay, okay. Which yeah, war is this? Is this a new war that I don't know about yet, or is it? Uh... Uh, he's he's dressed up as one of the Andrews sisters, and he goes from uh, place to place selling war bonds. Really? Well, apparently. I'd like to see that definitely. Uh, <laughs> well, we get to see him au naturel tomorrow at the Great Naked Ghost Hunt, so that should be novel. Really? Yeah. Um, tell more. We're, head, tell more. we're headed down to Portsmouth. Uh, a bit of a trek for me, not a six-hour drive. Um, it's naked in, in only name. Um, what it is, it's a, it's a return to the day before ghost investigators hid behind petometers, computers, night vision cameras, obelisks, eye obelisks, and all of the other ghost boxes and gadgets. So the people participating in the investigation will be naked of everything except a candle to light the way. So it's them and the spirits. So they don't get like a pen and paper, they don't get a, a compass, they don't get you know, flour, they don't get any... I mean, well, nope. okay, it's, so it's, we're, it's we're not going, really... It's not really... Right. It's not really Harry Price. Price business. No, but if we uh, if we look right back, um, you know, back to the fifth century BC and mm-hmm. through the sixteenth century, seventeenth century, there just wasn't the equipment. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to take back to those days, because 
let's be honest, we spend more time looking at computer screens and, and LED lights now than we do looking for the paranormal. And um, I think we lose touch with the human element, with the human side of it. Um, and so it, I, I think it'd be rather a neat experience and certainly an unusual experience for many um, to, to go into, uh, it'll be Portsmouth Guildhall, and face the spirits alone. Say, well, they won't be alone. They'll be, they'll be in pairs and they'll have just a cat. They'll be taken, their cell phones will be taken off them. If we're going back to 500 BC, will it be Uh We did think of doing it in uh, Atonia, but no, um, we'll draw the line at that because it's going to be cold. Um, but it, 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 back to basics, really raw, back to basics. Um, to explore the human experience rather than high-finding gadgets. Okay. I'm, I'm having a little difficult hearing you, Steve. I don't know what it is, but uh, it seems like you're, uh, you've are you got like a little delay on you or something. Yeah, I've noticed the line's not great tonight. Blame Hurricane Sandy. Uh, 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 uh. So, I mean, eventually I assume you will get Sandy, won't you? Uh, not this time. Normally we do, um, but this one's going. Uh, they say it's going west into um, westward into Canada. Ah, so the other part of the uh, UK. Yeah, yeah, one of one of our Commonwealth uh, neighbours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. So, anyways, uh, yeah, I mean, this naked ghost sound sounds really exciting. If somebody wanted to buy tickets, where could they get them? Uh, they're available online at darkencounters.com, and I think I think there might still be some available on the door tomorrow night in Portsmouth. Mm-hmm. Very but good. It's not it's not just the ghost investigation. There's there's a whole um, evening of uh, events lined up. There's a psychic fair. There's talks. Um, there's uh, an interactive ghost hunt. I understand earlier in the evening, which is being broadcast. Um, to large screens and also to uh, wave radio, so uh, there'll be opportunities there to get involved. And the cool. the main event, the the naked ghost hunt, starts at ten o'clock. Oh, that sounds really interesting. Uh, it's a shame I won't be over there because uh, you know, yeah, you're really missing something. Well, I think we see, miss see, Halloween over seeing me naked. Guys. You know what I mean. No, I still think you guys do Halloween way better than we do. Uh-huh. So, anyways, uh, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on TojiNet, Pararex, Ghost Channel and Beyond. And we'd like to bring on our guest who I had the great pleasure of working with uh, just last Saturday at the Gothic uh, Night of the Living Shadows. And he is an escape artist and a uh, Houdini expert, uh, an all-around... Uh, proper gentleman, Mr. Uh, Rich Lavengood. Hello, guys. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well. I survived Sandy, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, yet more fun today. Uh, are you still there, uh, Mr. Stephen? Yes, I'm still here, loud and clear. Yeah. I know you were very quiet. I just, uh, it was, uh, you know, I, I would assume you would jump right in there, you know, Houdini and escape artists and everything. I mean, Mr. Parascience is usually not silent like that. I, I, I was letting you welcome our guest. You were doing such a good job. And I was trying to see if I could make my mic volume any louder. 
Oh, that's what you're doing. I knew you were doing You're sounding rather good right now, Stephen. So whatever you did, you're better now than you were a few minutes ago. Ah, oh, cheers. Thanks for that. I, uh-huh. I think I was fiddling with the plugs. There you go. So I, I did want to ask you, uh, is, uh, is Houdini such a big deal in, in the UK as he is here in, in the US? Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, in the, in the um, annals of psychical research, Houdini is right up there. He, was, he, of course, worked alongside and was a great cooperator with uh, both Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and also Harry Price. Mm-hmm. Um, he 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 fell out and agreed with them variously uh, many many times. And so, actually, we're going to hear a little bit about uh, Harry Houdini from uh, Rich because Rich is, has followed Harry for quite a long time. In fact, I think he lived the same time Harry did, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> he was a bit younger than well, me. <laughs> that's another guest gone. <laughs> So, so, Rich, I mean, how well, did you get interested in magic, traditional magic, for a long, long time, but I was not a performer. I was interested analytically, but I wasn't interested in performing. And um, I read a lot of books, and I, I acquired a few skills and so on. And um, in the course of this avocation, I, I ran across a gentleman named Don Viano, and Don was really, really, really into Houdini. He was a student at Burling Hall, and they had contrived this act called Houdini Lives Again. And the intent was to recreate the Houdini-type escape show. And so I was intrigued with this. I'm an engineer by training. And so all of these nice toys intrigued me. And then uh, Don was injured in an auto accident, could no longer perform the show, and he asked if I would like to purchase the show, and he would teach me to do all of these wonderful things. And uh, I said, hell yes. So I jumped in with both feet and for the next many years had a lot of fun uh, doing a wonderful show, very different than most all magic shows, and different than most escape shows. And fortunately, I had a day job, to quote Dave Vernon. Um, I had a day job which provided a living for me so that I didn't have to depend on escape shows to pay the rent. Over the years, we found that it was very difficult to sell the concept because it's not a, a, a commercial concept in today's world. However, every time we sold a show, 90% of the time we rebooked so we knew we had a commercially viable product. We just didn't know how to sell it. And, and so in doing this and working with it, I encountered other people like Sid Radner, who was the foremost collector of Houdini uh, memorabilia, lived a mile from my house. And so we ended up talking about Houdini all the time. And I'm reading about Houdini all the time just because it was relevant to my avocation of performing Houdini-esque escapes. And uh, so now I've retired from performing the show. Uh, I still enjoy reflecting on those wonderful days and talking about Harry. He was a, a, a most engaging person. Uh, to say, uh, Stephen mentioned he fell into and out of relationships with uh, certain people. Uh, he was not an easy person to have as a bosom buddy. Uh, and they came and they went. However, he made a number of acquaintances that, that locked in for him certain people brought certain things to the party that he was firmly attached to. His issue with Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, they were both in quest of uh, someone who had recently died. 
And so that was a good basis for an immediate friendship. Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, young son had been killed in the precursor of World War I, and so he wanted to contact his son. And, of course, Houdini's mother had died, and uh, he wanted to contact his mother. So they had a common bonding interest there. Um, Arthur Conan Doyle got irritated with Harry when Harry started exposing fraudulent mediums. So there was friction there. But uh, in my understanding, uh, Harry exposed mediums uh, commercially as part of his uh, program for the last year or two. Uh, He exposed a a fraudulent medium every night. And so he was presented as being uh, a cynic. I won't say a skeptic because a skeptic is open-minded. He was presented as being a cynic who did not believe. Uh, There is no evidence that I can find that suggests he really didn't believe. I think he was truly a skeptic. He was looking for evidence. And when he was exposing a fraudulent medium, he was not saying, this is BS, it doesn't exist. He's saying, this dude doesn't have it. But he kept looking and hoping. I actually have a question for you. I mean, if you were fraudulent, who in your right mind would go on the show with Harry Houdini knowing they would expose you? Oh, he had advanced men who went into town before him. Yeah. And they would cite, they would find somebody and identify him for him. And sometimes Harry would go in costume and go attend a seance at this medium's place. And then, unbeknownst to the medium, he would then be the, the subject of tomorrow night's show here in his, ah. the medium's hometown. Oh, so they weren't really there. He would just uh, Correct. Like, what they did and talk and, about it. And right? he would put an X mark on their, their sidewalk or on their steps or something to prove that he was really there and da-da-da-da-da. And, and part of the friction with Arthur Conan Doyle was, are you really seeking communication or are you looking for fraudulent medium that you can exploit for your own commercial benefit? And so Arthur Conan Doyle felt that Harry was being distracted by the commercial aspect of exposing yet another medium rather than looking for the true medium that could put him in contact with his mother. So that was the the source of the friction between them. And um, Harry made most of Harry's career. He was in vaudeville, and he was doing a 20-minute show five times a day. A lot of hard work. And only after he became wealthy and could structure his own show did he put together the full evening show. And that was the show that we tried to emulate in the Houdini Lives Again show. And he did one-third was magic. By most accounts, he was not a good magician. Uh, One-third escapes. By most accounts, he was extraordinary. And one-third was uh, spiritualism and exposing fraudulent mediums. Wow. it was a three-part show. lasted three hours, sometimes four hours, kind of like a, a, a Ron production. No, no firm script to follow here. You just kind of play it by ear and follow where it goes. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, in a show, he would have a you full 20-25-piece uh, yeah, orchestra. interrupt you, is that, you know, Harry Houdini, as a performer, and, you know, that's what he was, that's what he did, but yet he was so involved with uh, spiritualism or, or uh, life after death. Uh, you know, it's hard to separate the two at times. I mean, where does the magic end and where does the, uh, the paranormal begin, I guess? Uh, this was the thing that interested me because uh, I, I saw so much that said, oh, he was a disbeliever and he was out to disprove. And, and one of my key phrases, I talked to you, Ron, 
they say he, he was exposing fraudulent spiritualists, and I resent that term deeply. He was exposing fraudulent mediums. Uh, spiritualists uh, are like Baptists, Methodists, etc. That's a religion, and you don't expose a religion. You expose mediums. Um, two months before his death, he gave a talk in Utica University in uh, Utica, New York, in which he clearly said that he thought it might be possible to communicate with the dead. Now, this was two months before he died. Mm-hmm. So he was not a cynic. He was not a disbeliever. He was a true skeptic. He was looking for proof. And uh, I think that a lot of the, the hype in the media around him has distorted. They're using him to express their own beliefs. <laughs> and uh, I think he was a, a true skeptic. He was looking for proof. He was looking for evidence. And was he distracted by making money by exposing the fraudulent ones? Probably. Makes sense to me. If I were in that business, I would be looking for frauds to expose if, it, if I was getting paid for it. So, but it didn't. That doesn't imply that he didn't think there might be a real one out there. And I don't know. I don't know. I think Personally, I don't writing, know. What's that? Um, I don't know what your thoughts are, but certainly through his books, it does come across as a certain amount of bitterness. Um, yeah. Towards mediums, I would I would totally totally agree that um, he was uh, skeptical, uh, much much more skeptical than cynical. Yeah. Um, but I think as as he failed to find the proof, the the communication with his mother that he so desperately desired, I think he he did become, or there is, reading through the books, he does seem to become more embittered. But Harry was not a warm and fuzzy person at all, and uh, so that kind of bitterness could come out. I mean, he uh, he turned on uh, Jean Robert Houdin also in a similar fashion. He's a hero. He's wonderful. He's a my, and then suddenly he's he's an asshole. So uh, Harry could turn that way. And the um, the the thing that I found was that the fact that he established the password with Bess. The fact that this Utica University uh, talk that he gave said that he had never closed the door to that possibility. Right. And, and, no, I, and even, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. And, and it, interesting, because it continues on even after his death with the Harry Houdini Halloween seances. Yes. Now, why, why do we do that? Now, he had his 10 seances, which were well-publicized. They were on national-wide radio, probably worldwide radio, I don't know. It was pre-television, but uh, uh, there was a lot of publicity for that. Now, the seance, uh, the seance is a modern, uh, well, I forget what my title of my lecture was, seance is a modern phenomenon. Yes, it's a modern social phenomenon. The seances had started to wane, the popularity of seances. Around uh, the turn of the century, uh, it was feeling that perhaps two-thirds of the people in the United States felt that it was possible to communicate with the dead, certainly more than half. And with World War One, that seemed to have dampened the it, short-term spiked, and then it seemed to dampen. And, and by the time we got through with Harry's ten seances, there seemed to not be the overpowering interest in seances that had occurred prior to that. And so, um, 
as we look back, we ignore the, the hundreds of seances. We ignore the seances that took place in the White House. We ignore the seances that took place here and there. And we remember the Knickerbocker Hotel, and we go back and we go after Harry Houdini. I think part of that is because if we look at it on a physical basis, Harry was the man who could do things that were virtually impossible for us to do. That's why he was so successful. He could, we could look at it and say, oh, my God, that's impossible, but here's the man who can do it. Um, so if indeed there were, as he said the best, if it were indeed possible to come back across the veil, he would do it. So I think it, it, we would more likely call on him than we would on Arthur Conan Doyle. I would love to chat with Arthur Conan Doyle, but no, we don't <laughs> say. We ask for Harry because Harry is the man that does the impossible, and by golly, I want to see him come across. So I think he's the, the focus. He was also a bigger than, he was like the first rock star. And so if I want to sell tickets to an event, I want to sell tickets to see Harry Houdini, not Sister Elizabeth come back and visit with us. Right. It's it's like we use Cal Cooper's name for the show, even though he doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Houdini was was Houdini was um, I say the key figure. The, the, um, but there was, if if my memory serves me correctly, I I I have a book somewhere where by another magician who was also deeply involved in psychical research. Was it Joseph Dunninger? Dunninger. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. It was also, wasn't he a disciple and friend of Houdini? Um, for a while, yes, yes. Donninger was a, uh, a later, I, I, later figure and had a TV show and uh, did all sorts of stuff. Um, he was not as charismatic as Houdini. But yeah, I, was, I do was, have a. I, I had a book that he'd uh, written. It was a hundred Houdini magic tricks, and there's a great section in it that relates to, uh, exper you know, the sort of things that were done by by uh, within the sounds room by mediums, a sort of expose. Yeah. Um, and I know that Dunninger uh, also worked for um, the was it one of the councils for psychic research and made an offer that any medium could reproduce. Um, his uh, by by the psychic or supernatural means. Right. Um, he he offered a, a cash prize. Right, and again, a picking up on the Houdini tradition and and going forward with it. Yes. Yeah, I never met him. I, I have friends who who knew Joe well and uh, interesting character. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, but I think he was approaching it um, less. Uh, Houdini wanted to talk to Mama. He was a mama's boy, and that was his yeah. primary motivation in the beginning before he got intrigued with the other aspects. I think Joe Donninger was just intellectually curious. Can't, is this something that, that's real, or are they all fakes? And then, of course, Randy followed in Joe Donninger's footsteps. Right. But Randy, I, mean, I think, well, still has the challenge out there. Yeah, and there's, there's also a good book, and I don't think it's in print anymore, called The Psychic Mafia, which is, I believe, uh, Lamar Keene or, or something like that, Keene Lamar or whatever. Yeah, that's based on Camp Chesterfield out in Indiana. Uh-huh. And um, it, it, it exposes um, total corrupt. It's kind of like Chicago politics. You start with, a, a, with an idea that's basically corrupt, and now you see how, how corrupt can you get it. And, um, yeah, they had uh, files on people, they had mediums all over the country 
who participated in this. And so when you visited your hometown medium and uh, you did so-and-so, those files would go into Camp Chesterfield in Indiana, and then when you showed up at Camp Chesterfield, they'd pull your file and uh, know all sorts of things about your your past the relatives and so on. Uh, it was a highly organized operation, and uh, it was like the mafia. It was it was well well regulated. You didn't get in easily, and you didn't get out alive easily. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, fraudulent to the to the hilt. Now, uh, my contact with spiritualists. I'm not a spiritualist, but my contact with spiritualists has been at Lilydale in upstate New York, and at Lilydale, the I will assume true believers, and certainly the residents there, uh, kind of look askance at Camp Chesterfield. They they know there's a lot of fraud that's gone on there. Okay, so they, they look down upon it. Yeah, and one of the questions that came up uh, there, I was sitting in a, a, a room with a group of people, and they said, uh, well, why are we letting physical mediumship go away? There are so few people practicing uh physical mediumship, that if we don't have more classes training us to do this, soon it will all be gone. And the response I thought was brilliant, perhaps rehearsed, I don't know. It's too difficult to tell the difference between real and fake physical mediumship. Oh. Wow, that's profound. Mm. So now, if it's real, but I can simulate it with a magic trick, then the Houdini-esque uh, challenges, if you can do something I can't do, uh, it, that's not totally legitimate. If, if I can actually get the spirits to talk to me through my spirit trumpet, and you can fake it in a similar fashion, it doesn't mean that I'm not genuine. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting thing, because I've always said that about the ghost hunters. Now, the ghost hunters' creed has always been, if we can reproduce it, uh, then it's not real. But the only problem with that, it, just because you can reproduce it, doesn't mean it wasn't real at the time it happened. Bingo. It's very simple no, psychology. But, yeah. but we've discussed this, Ron, and what, what we've always said is, uh, what my line has always been is, if it can be so readily reproducible, then the likelihood of that being the, uh, the real outcome is, is greater than it being the paranormal outcome. No, no, because when they do yeah. that, they don't. No, that's not true. Because <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, you have to make sure you reproduce it in all circumstances. I mean, it has to be taken all conditions. Who was in the house? What ah. was it? All that stuff. Oh uh, uh, no, I agree oh. with that. But I I agree with that. But what you have to, I mean, you have to work on the basis that the paranormal is probably very unlikely so that if there is a more plausible explanation then that should be the you know occam's razor yeah yeah the most obvious explanation is probably the correct one you know that's a good creed but not necessarily always true uh i didn't <laughs> say it was universally true but what i i think it's a good basis to work work from when you're conducting an investigation you know for example if the medium is walking around with a with an iphone and they're getting extraordinary information. Yeah, then I like the mediums walk around with iPhones. What's up with that? Lot, lots of them do. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, if they can get the information without the iPhone, 
Anyways, we're going to have to continue this because I can hear the tunes right now, which means we have to take a break. And I do want to continue this. Uh, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Mr. Parascience, the great skeptic himself, Mr. Stephen Glasses, and of course the humble Mr. Dan Helsing. And our very special guest today is Richard Ladenberg, the uh, Houdini Welcome to Tolkien. We'll be right Radio back. with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous as we give the awards to the Parrax family. Alright. Hi, I'm Ron Kolek, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so Ann, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann and Ron. See you then. Everything you heard about witches is true. Halloween is the time of year when the shades of the dead whisper from forgotten places and spirits walk among us. The witches of Salem, Massachusetts honor this time with Festival of the Dead, an annual event series that explores death's macabre customs, heretical histories, and strange rituals. Founded by Salem witches, Sean Poirier and Christian Day, and hosted by the foremost authorities on the spirit world, Fest 
festival of the dead beckons guests to step through the veil into a mysterious realm where spirits await you. To learn more or to purchase tickets, visit festivalofthedead.com or call 978-740-9783. Happy Halloween! <laughs> back you are listening to ghost chronicles international right here on tojanet pararex ghost channel and beyond with mr steve parsons and ron colick my very special guest is rich lavengood lavengood that's a good name i should change my name anyway uh, yeah i had to change mine when i went on stage so that's okay yeah yeah running good come on ron what you get what Let's 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 have a quick thing through the chat rooms. A new name for Ron. I tried calling him Karnaki the Ghost Finder, but that didn't yeah, work. <laughs> but I, I do want to touch on two things. First of all, uh, one thing I do want to mention before I get in is uh, I have an event coming up, so I got to push it right now, and that's Dining with the Dead on November thirteenth at the Wyndham Restaurant with Roxy Zorker of New England Curiosity. Tickets are on sale at indieghostproject.com, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. And I got some other events up there, too, but check them out, whatever. But anyways, the other thing I want to mention is, yes, dear? Yes, Stephen? Stephen? I didn't say anything. I thought I heard you. Could have been a ghost? I I might be fiddling with the microphone. Mm, But when you finish plugging your things, I've got something to plug as well, so... Of course, you can plug all your way. Uh, but anyways, I do want to mention also that uh, Rich uh, is also a environmental engineer, and uh, both Karen Ruck and myself both have degrees in environmental sciences. Small world. Huh? Hmm. Anyways, uh, plug away there, young man. Okie dokie. Um, I, I might not. Uh, it's with some trepidation. I'm waiting for tomorrow morning. Um because I've spent the last three, well, two days last week and the last three or four days uh, via electronic communication, um, I had, as, as you remember, the Wall Street journalist, Matt, yes. Matthew Dalton, yes. came out to spend some time with me. I don't know what he's writing, but I think it might be a book, judging by the number of questions. Anyway, he told me today it's in the Wall Street Journal US edition tomorrow. Now... I won't get to see it, so... Yes, uh, you will, because... It might upset him. <laughs> your, your good buddy will get you one. Oh, cool. Um, but I'm just wondering... I'm quite, I've, I've been quite forthright in some of my answers, so uh, I might not be Mr. Popular tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> well... Depends on the circle you're saying, <laughs> Maybe you won't get it then. <laughs> 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 I do want to mention one thing, and, and we were... And, this is, goes back to our discussion prior to the break. And uh, you were saying that if it's most likely, then that's what it was. What was your exact words? I don't want to misquote you because I, I'm in enough trouble as it is. I'll come to I, I, the only point thing. I was making is in terms of my role as an investigator, mm-hmm. then I seek the plausible explanations. And for me, the paranormal should be the least likely, the last thing that we come to. So if I can come up with a solution that's more plausible, more likely, then it has to be more possible. Does yeah, that see, make sense? The, 
the only the only problem I agree 100 percent that it's it's, uh, you know, it's certainly uh, most likely the, the results. But I see I see a flaw in that in that if you go and you find something, you can reproduce it and you stop right there, then you've not completed your homework. As far as I'm concerned, you're you definitely uh, you know, there, there may be more research that will prove it's paranormal and not just likely. You certainly simplified the research well, when you start with that assumption. Well, I don't. I, I think. I think you can never prove it's paranormal. <gasps> I can't believe you said that. I can because you can't prove what we don't know. We don't know what the paranormal is. You're absolutely right. One of the logical paradigms. So we can't you can prove, never it. prove You can never uh, prove a negative, and that's exactly what you're saying here. We, uh, yeah. But I what can't we, prove what we that can it, demonstrate is. We, yeah, I, I agree with you. You can't. Uh, I agree. You can't prove the paranormal. I don't think we, we're ever going to. We prove can the demonstrate paranormal. that we've. No, but we can demonstrate that we've ruled out all of the likely scenarios, and that we can't prove or disprove the remainder. So that's as close to the paranormal as we can get, and that that can be pretty close sometimes. Okay. So I mean, when do we have a, a point in time like Houdini and the and the the psychic mafia i mean they uh, especially houdini houdini was interested in the in the paranormal in the spirit world uh, did that really dis- i mean you know all him, him exposing these psychics all the time did that really dissuade him or is it did he always have that hope in the back of his mind or belief that there is more to life than just i, I think based on his own words he always held open the possibility now, whether he thought it was very likely, slightly likely, somewhat likely, two months before he died, he thought it was possible. Uh, so I think he never ruled it out 100%. Which, again, uh, logically, you cannot rule out 100% for exactly the reasons that we're saying here. All you can say is, nah, I don't think it's likely. And we can argue about how unlikely. But logically, ethically, you can't say no. It does not exist. It's just the nature of logic. I think there's an awful lot of, um, dare I call them, the sceptical scientists who would disagree with what you just said there, Rich, um, because they've set themselves up in their scientific ivory towers and have ruled conclusively and categorically that the paranormal cannot exist, and that, uh, therefore, people who look at it, to quote one of them, anybody who believes in ghosts is a knobber. Yeah, you know what? (laughs) I mean... And that's from a professor of astrophysics. Are they just toeing the line? You know what I'm saying? Is is that the mainstream thought? Or, you know, they have, might have their own beliefs. I mean, I, I saw was, I saw the statistic, and I can't tell you where it came from. Something like, uh, you know, 30% of, of uh, atheists pray. And, I mean, that, so, yeah, they're atheists, but they're praying. So, I mean, these scientists, even though they, they're toting the line and saying, okay, this is all knobber shit. Uh, did I say that? Yes, I did. Um, anyways, uh, in in their own beliefs, they may believe there is something more. I, I'm not so sure. Some of them, uh, pro- possibly, 
there is certainly one or two who that I think they've been they've gone on record so many times um, that their views are absolutely clear. And in fact, I, I think if they were to have any form of different uh, perspective, even privately, I think somebody would whistle blow. Um, okay, I will go back right. now to Harry Houdini and and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, Harry found it commercially important for him to go out and and expose mediums because he got coverage for this and he earned money for doing this. So as a cynic who's not really a cynic but rather a skeptic, at least commercially, uh, if I adopt that position and I find that it brings me fame and glory, I may sing the song. I, I, I can't necessarily agree, Rich, because Harry, Harry, Harry Price also um, not only cooperated with and in, in several instances um, brought to the public's attention what he considered to be excellent mediums, mm-hmm. but at the same time, he would, he would put a torpedo into any one of them that he thought was a fake. Um, there is, you know, I don't think there's any, there's any uh, dilemma between exposing fraud and at the same time having a belief that's, that's pro, uh, pro-spiritualism or pro, pro-survival. No, I'll buy that. What I was suggesting is that the, the uh, vocal skeptics of today uh, get their media coverage because of their extreme position. If there was any, equivoc- any equivocation in their position they wouldn't be getting the press that they get this way. So I'm well, suggesting there may possibly, be a motivation. I'd also, I, I agree. I'd also wonder how, how, much would, yeah, but how much would they get if they suddenly changed sides? How much extra exposure if Brian, Professor Brian Cox came out and said, you know what, I've studied this and I believe. But the problem with Cox and some of the others is they just haven't studied it. They, exactly. They, they, know, they know nothing about the subject. Ever, ever since I got into the paranormal, there used to be a guy, and he's still out there, Joe Nichols. And he was with Psychops or whatever the hell they call themselves now. And uh, he used to always uh, trash whatever I said and, and everything. And he knew me, didn't, didn't know me, didn't know anything that I did. But he was always there to speak out against it. And, you know, when I, I look at his background. Wrong. I don't know if you hear me or not, but I just lost you. No, you're loud and clear. Okay. So, anyways, he, he uh, I, I looked at his background and I found out he was a freaking English teacher. You know, I mean, an English professor. I mean, I had a better scientific background than him, but he got the press because he was with this Psychops, and that was the mainstream. You know, ghosts of bunk, blah, blah, blah. Well, what's Randy's qualifications? I don't know. <laughs> None. Absolutely zero zip zilch. Apart from, he does a good line in impersonating Santa. And, uh, but, but, beyond, but beyond that, his, his qualifications uh, for doing what he claims to be doing are absolutely zero. The problem with so many of these skeptics is that people respect them because they have qualifications in science. And they use that qualification to browbeat people into listening. How many times have you heard people, you know, as a scientist, while speaking as a scientist, looking at it from a scientific point of view, a su- science is a methodology. You don't have to be a scientist to do science. But what you, do sh- what you should do, if you're going to talk about a subject, is at least study it. And these people just do not study it. Their knowledge is it, it, it's beyond poor. 
as a trained scientist who made a living doing real science for a long, long time, I agree with you, Steve. It, it, uh, Thank you. It, it's laughable to me, some of the science that I see from the skeptics. I mean, basically, they're just making a name for themselves by trashing ghost hunters or paranormal investigators or parapsychologists or, or whatever. That's what they That's do. That's the point I was making. That's the Houdini-esque type thing. Yeah. I'm doing this because I make money at it. It may or may not reflect my internal beliefs. But I know I will be rewarded with fame if I, if I do these things. If I wear this hat, then people will come and interview me, and my name will be in the newspapers, and I will be famous. My neighbors will be impressed with me. And if I believe, if I, if I am honest and open a possibility of the other side, then I don't get the headlines that I get now. I don't get the, the, uh, the gigs that I get now. I don't get the requests for lectures that I get now because now I'm ambivalent. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not selling what they want me to sell. Mm. You've got, you, you make a very valid point there. Um, but I wonder whether, you know, in terms of commercial, uh, at least for short-term gain, if one of them wants a, a new kitchen uh, or a new car, um, if they just come out and say, do you know what, I believe. They'd, be in, uh, they'd certainly be in demand for a few months. Yeah, just a yeah. few months, though. Yeah, yeah, that, that could be. And then he'd be attacked by all of his former friends and neighbors. And, yeah, it, it's a possibility. Maybe we <laughs> should uh, set up the experiment and uh, <clears throat> have a go. Right. I mean, I'm just I mean, looking at. Go ahead, Steve. You're, you're looking at the uh, question in the chat room. No, I was just looking. I was just looking at the question in the chat room. Uh, before I remind you that we have to do the um, the dice, the die. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, so do you, you want to uh, deal with that question? Uh, it's from Brian, who says, also, conversely, some parapsychologists and investigators really also need to study, well, I agree totally, study certain scientific principles, physics or psychology, before they also say that the scientists are all wrong. And that's a perfectly, that's an equally good point. I mean, let's right. be honest, the vast majority of people who investigate ghosts um, have no basis other than perhaps a TV program or a, a very flimsy uh, sort of background reading of the subject, that's not to state all of them. There are some excellent paranormal investigators. But unfortunately, as with so many um, areas of amateur pursuit, there are an awful lot of people uh, who make a living as plumbers by day and ghost investigators by night, etc. Not to dingerate plumbers at all, but... Uh... Yeah, there are scientific methods that are available to all of us if we choose. You have to, but then you get back to the philosophical question of if, if there is truly a paranormal thing, does our scientific method still prevail? Right. And I don't know. Uh, as a trained scientist, I don't know. I know that the, the scientific method was developed to deal with the physical world as we know it and understand it. Now, if there's a parallel universe that is existing within our same dimensions, uh, my scientific method is not going to detect that parallel universe. Uh, no, I, I agree. Um, my methods of investigation are set to rule the, the known or uh, the known environmental uh, factors uh, that operate. And you know, we know, for example, that, that low frequency and some high frequency sound can cause effects on people. They may then determine a paranormal. But 
you know, we need to remove the known and then look at what's left. Agreed. Okay, I know that we have to do our, uh, what's the name of that again? Um, the Xenodice. Uh, Xenodice thing. So keep, why don't we do it that? Keeps, it keeps... Ca- Okay, what is okay, going Okay, sorry, it's a bad line, it's a bad line, that's all. Okay, why don't we hold that towards the end of the show so that we'll, we'll finish with uh, Rich and then uh, we'll do the experiment that way we don't have to break up in the middle of it. So that'd be very cool. What we've been doing, Rich, is uh, we do these, uh, Steve has been throwing these dice and... Uh, People have been uh, remote viewing them or whatever, or precognating or whatever they're doing, and coming up with the things and sending them to uh, Cal Cooper. So get your pencils and papers ready, and uh, we'll do that in a couple minutes. But uh, with time running out, I do want to talk to Rich a little bit more about uh, Harry Houdini and uh, the Beth Seance. Now, I mean, as part of the Gothic. Night of the Living Shadows on Saturday night. One of the things we did do is the seance at the very end, and we played actual pieces of the last seance. And and and, the, and at the very end of the night, we we played uh, Beth's last message, and she says that she does not believe in the in the paranormal and life after death. Is, isn't that what she says? Correct. So, uh, um, do you think she really believed that? Uh, Beth had a very hard life after. Harry's death. Uh, Harry, of course, was teetotaler, never tasted alcohol or anything. Beth got into alcohol, I don't know before, but certainly after. And uh, she had some very difficult times. She suffered a lot of depression, some uh, uh, alcoholic issues. And um, uh, she really, truly thought he was going to come back. And he didn't, and she got very bummed by all of this. And finally, uh, basically, it was back to Harry's statement. If anybody can do it, by God, I'm the one. And so if Harry can't do it, then obviously nobody can do it, because Harry is the ultimate. I think that was the position she was in. So she said, no, the light is out. Good night, Harry. It's impossible. She spent uh, 10 years. She would... uh, kept a light in the bedroom window at night in case his spirit was wandering about looking for the bedroom. And she would sit uh, with a picture of him lighting a candle from noon to 2 o'clock on every Halloween uh, because he died at 1.30 in the afternoon. And so here's the warmth of the candle to attract his spirit. I mean, she did everything she could to aid his spiritual return, and he didn't show up. Therefore, it's obviously impossible. Nobody can the only thing we can say is he didn't show up to her. But Indeed. we're unaware that he did, didn't show up somewhere else. Because there were many, Well, there have many been many people claimed he showed up somewhere else. But uh, I was at a seance where his mother showed up. But uh, that's another story. Um, yes. Uh, but to Beth, well, uh, realistically, if he were going to show himself to anybody in the universe, it would be his mother or Beth. His mother was already with him. So it would seem the best would be the target. So I think that was the, the the philosophical basis of her statement then, that I don't believe it's possible. Yeah, but the only question is we don't understand the paranormal. We don't know what's possible and what is of course not. impossible. So 
it, he might have been there and she just wasn't wasn't aware of it, wasn't cognizant. I mean, it's very possible. We we don't know. She was under heavy influence of uh, the gentleman who performed as Doctor Saint, and there was yeah. some uh, there was some games going on there where he got her in a drunken thing, and he got the password from her, and so he announced that Harry had returned, and here was the password to prove it, and a lot of stuff going on in her life. She was totally, totally devoted to Harry, and when he was gone, life ceased to have the kind of meaning that she was accustomed to. And uh, so I think she was just not mentally capable of dealing with the trauma. So uh, I, I wouldn't Harry put any great trust to it. I'm sorry, Stephen, you said? I was just... Uh, it was a, uh, just a comment that if she was that unstable and couldn't handle it, then maybe that was one compelling reason why Harry decided not to come back. Interesting. Very interesting. Could be. So anyways, uh, Rich, we're going to have to say goodbye to you because we have to do our experiment here because Cal Cooper is, needs more emails, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> I'm anxious to hear the experiment. May I listen in? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, well, stay with us then. Okay, I just won't talk. That. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Stephen. It's been fun. Ron, I'll see you soon. Okay, Rich, if you're going to listen in, you may as well take part in this as well, my friend. Okay. Don't mean to intrude. All right, Stephen, you want to explain it for our listeners once again? And Rich? Okie doke. Okie dokie. Uh, for the benefit of those who uh, don't know, uh, what we've been doing over the, over the month of October is we have been throwing a series of five Zener dice uh, on each of the shows. Uh, the, the, the Zener symbols, which are the famous uh, symbols used by the Rhine Institute for ESP getting, is a square, a circle, a wavy line, a star, and a cross. But because the dice are six-sided, we have an extra secret symbol. So we will throw the five dice in sequence, and there'll be a short pause in between times. Uh, I'll note them down. You note them down and email your results to cal- at contact at calcooper.com. And I think when, we, uh, when we've analysed the results, I think there's also a prize for everybody that, that enters, isn't there, Ron? Yeah, it's a random prize. Sends so everybody that enters has got a chance to win it. And, I mean, it'll, it'll probably be amazing. Uh, you know, it'll probably be a date with Cal or something. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, second prize is two dates. Yeah, yeah, second prize, two dates. That's a naked <laughs> ghost hunt, I'm sure. <laughs> Anyways, so are we ready to go? Okay, we're ready with dice number one. Throw the dice number one. Throw the dice number two. And number three. Number four. And finally, the fifth dice. And that completes tonight's set. I think that completes the full set, doesn't it, for October? I think it does. I think it does. So anybody that enters, send that to to, uh, contact at calcooper.com, and you're automatically entered to win a fabulous prize, something really proper. and we also know, having run this past uh, last week, Dr. Simon Sherwood, the parapsychologist, that this constitutes a proper double-blind experiment because really? 
only uh, I know the results of the throw. Cal is ignorant and blind to the results so far in. So we can, we can publish it in, the, in Ladies' Journal? Maybe, maybe. Cal, I'm sure, would write it up. He loves writing journal articles. Okay, there you go. So, uh, Rich, did you, uh, did you get the... Uh, the uh, I got two out of three, but I mean, I got three out of the five, but I'm not sure. I'm writing them down, and I'll be in touch. Okay, you send those to uh, contact at calcooper.com, and we'll know. So, Rich, thank you so much for being on the show, as, as always, and you and I will be doing stuff together in the future, I believe. That's the plan. If either one of us don't die. but uh, I cross the pond about once a year. I would uh, like to hook up with Stephen next time I'm over. Oh, definitely, definitely. Beautiful. Ron, can you move? Can you move Spirit Quest to next Halloween? I can do anything. Very possible. It's better than the summer, isn't it? Yeah, we're not doing it in the summer. I was thinking September, but Halloween may be a doable. Um, yeah. Okay, so Rich, That'd we're going to cool. say goodbye to you. Thank you very much for, and uh, I will be in touch. I enjoyed it. Excellent. See you guys later. Thank you, Bye-bye. Rich. Thank you. Thank yep. you. Evidently, the uh, pizza bell rang, and I didn't hear it again. That means the pizza from the dead is here. Uh, so, what the hell? I mean, how come I can never hear the bell anymore? It really irritates uh, me. I don't know. Maybe it just got waxing your ears. Did you hear it? Uh, no, not tonight, I must admit. <laughs> t- tonight, oh, tonight's well. been... A- Oh, well, well t- it's normal. It must be paranormal, then. Well, tonight's been a bit unusual. I don't know whether it's the weather or something, but we've had, uh, I think it's the first bad line we've ever had. Really? Oh. There, are, there are no bad lines, just bad girls. Ah, uh, okay. Is that something? I don't know, never mind. <laughs> Whatever. Anyways, anything? Uh, once again, go to your naked ghost hunt, which is where? Uh, it's at Portsmouth Guildhall, down on the south coast of l- sunny England. Well, actually, it'll be rainy and windy tomorrow night, but a warm welcome will will be inside. And, and how can I get tickets? Uh, Dark Encounters website uh, here in the UK, and I think there might be some available on the door. There you go. And I want to mention Dining with the Dead on uh, the 13th of November. Go to our website com, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com, and get your tickets there. I'll also be at, on Thursday, I'll be at Middlesex Community College doing a lecture and a ghost hunt there, which I believe is free. And then on next Wednesday, I'll be at Northern Essex Community College doing a lecture at noon there. And uh, I guess that's about it. So the tunes are on. It's been a pleasure. And... Uh, I guess, uh, well, I will see you. No, I won't see you. So, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween and uh, good From hunting. Goonies to uh, ghosting. Long legged things to do. Things that go bumping.